Hi, this is Pastor Darren Gerald of Strong Tower Christian Church. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Now let's go to the Word. Well, we've been having a wonderful time. I don't know about you, but I certainly have been having a wonderful time uh, here and together in God's presence as God has uh, been just manifesting His Spirit and His power and His love for us. I believe that hearts are being changed, lives are being changed eternally. I believe that people are coming to the Lord, even as you're listening online. I believe that this is a divine appointment by the Lord. Angie, could you bring me my glasses, please? I believe that this is a divine appointment by the Lord uh, for us to be together here and for you to hear uh, the word of the Lord today. Amen. Praise God. John chapter number 14. John chapter number 14. They are put the scriptures on the, for you. John chapter number 14, starting at verse number 1. John chapter 14, starting at verse number 1, reading to verse number 12. Mr. Sound Person, if you could put that up on the screen for me, I appreciate it. John chapter 14, starting at verse number 1. Jesus is speaking here. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Would you look at the person beside you and say, don't be troubled. You, you may have a lot of things going on in your life right now, and as such is of life, we are all faced with challenges. We're all faced, thank you, hon, we're all faced with uh, different adversities in life in different places and stages in life, call for, have different adversities and different challenges, whether you are raising children and you are dealing with school and all of that, or whether you are dealing with teenagers and teenagers who are trying to assert their uh, independence, or you're dealing with 20-year-olds, uh, uh, whether you're dealing with uh, grandchildren or you're dealing with uh, perhaps you're at a stage of life where it's an empty nest, or perhaps you're at a stage in life where you're looking forward to retirement or you're just looking forward. Amen. We all have different challenges in life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. In one version, it says many mansions. Aren't you glad it is? he has mansions? And if it were not so, Jesus says, I would have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. Somebody say amen to that. You know the way to the place where I am going. Right. Thomas said unto him, one of the disciples, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how could we know the way? Right. Jesus answered, he says, I am the way right. and the truth and the life. Yes, sir. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said again to the Lord, he said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough. <laughs> that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, listen to this, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Or at least believe me for my work's sake. Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And then if you could jump down to verse number 16 for us. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Somebody say advocate. Advocate. We talked about that last week, didn't we? And he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. And he is the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. Somebody say with you. And he will be in you. Father, I thank you for the reading of your word. Lord, I know that your word is already anointed and it will accomplish that which you sent it to do. But Lord, I pray that you would anoint me for the next few moments. Would you overshadow me with your power that I might preach your word acceptable line upon line and precept upon precept, Lord. And that, Father God, your word would bring forth the fruit that you have intended for it to bring forth today. We thank you. We thank you for those that are listening and joining in and leaning in online today. We thank you for every person, our neighbor on our right and on our left. God, if you bless them today, I'll praise you like as if you had blessed me. Father, we are just that locked up. And Father, we give you praise and thanks for it all. In Jesus' name, somebody say amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are continuing our series on the person, the ministry, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's good to see Alexis and Josiah here this morning. Good to see you guys. And I want to talk to you this morning on what to do when you don't know what to do. Have you ever been there? What to do when you don't know what to do. Now, there are some common prescriptions that we give inside the church uh, when we're trying to advise people and tell them what to do. I want to give you just three of those, but uh, some people would urge you to pray when you don't know what to do. Prayer is good, but there's something I believe even more foundational before we pray. Amen. Some people would say that you need to get into the presence of God through worship. And how many know that worship is wonderful, but there is something even more foundational before worship? Hopefully I'm intriguing you a little bit and got your attention. Some people would say to you, open your Bible and get into God's word. And the word will work. Somebody say amen to that. But there's something more foundational than that. Here in John chapter 14, I find a recipe for what to do when you don't know what to do. Anybody in that place today where you've ever been in a place where you simply did not know what was coming next or what you were to do in that hour? Despite what your your most favorite televangelist has told you, 
At very points in your life, you're going to get the wind, listen to me now, this is important, you're going to get the wind knocked out of you. You know, my mother is probably listening online, and, and growing up in South Carolina, they had this song. I don't know why they celebrated these things like this, but they had a song, a pastor, that says, if you haven't had any rain in your life, wait a while. And I don't want to celebrate that. I don't want to celebrate the fact that we have rain and we have rainy days and cloudy days in our life. But, the, but it is true that, that if you have never had anything happen in your life uh, where the wind has been knocked out of your sails, where, you, where it seems like hell itself has come against you, you just need to wait a while. It's coming. You're going to have moments in your life where all Seems lost. You better listen to me today. Someone in your life who you love is going to betray you. Yes, you're going to feel the sting. You live long enough, you will feel the sting of betrayal. Unfortunately, there are people in our lives who... You know, some people say they come for a season, some come for a reason, and, and all that sounds good. But, but understand, there, there are going to be people that come into your life, and they're going to leave you. Some of it will be of their own choosing, and some of it will be because their life is over and their time here is over. You're going to lose someone precious as life it itself is to you. I pray that if you are uh, married and you are have your loved ones and your mom and your dad will be around for a long, long time. But there is coming a season, there's coming a time where parents will say goodbye to their children and children will say goodbye to their parents and, and lovers will say goodbye to one another because we don't come here to stay. There is going to be a time in our life where all seems to be lost, where all hope is gone. And, and if the truth is told today that it's going to feel like the lot. Life has knocked the wind out of your sails. Anybody hear me today? At some point, all of your resources will not be enough to insulate you from life's challenges. You can save all you can and can all you can save. And you can exercise and you can eat right and you can do everything you know to do, but there are coming moments in your life where you will be so confused, so heartbroken, so disappointed, so depressed that you might find yourself knowing not what to do next. You will feel neither. Can I, can I talk about it for a moment? Can we just be real? Can you? You will feel neither the inclination to worship, to read your Bible, or to pray. Oh, y'all. Okay. There are times when you and I will feel lost and paralyzed. And you and I, we will not escape life's trials and tests. So what do you do? Are you with me now? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Jesus gives us a recipe, I believe, here in John chapter 14. But if I could just take a few moments, I want to take you back to chapter 13 to set the context of Jesus's. Uh, encouragement to us today. You see, in chapter 13, we find that Jesus is having his last meal with his disciples. Somebody said it was called the Last Supper. And Jesus gets up. He gets up from supper 
Sam, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. He gives them a, design, a divine example of what it means to be a servant leader. And for you, for you that are familiar with the story. But after this, it takes, the dinner takes a dramatic turn. Your Bible says in John 13, 21, that Jesus began to be troubled in spirit. And he announces to his disciples that, that one of them, one of them that is sitting at the table, is going to betray him. You see, it's, it is predicted. It is predicted in Psalm uh, chapter 41, verse 9. He says, Yea, my own familiar friend, in whom I have trusted, which did eat of my bread, have lifted up his heel against me. Jesus knew what it felt like and what it felt like and what it meant to be portrayed. Perhaps you think that you are isolated and you are alone and, and what you are going through is just simply something that is new, that has never happened. Nobody understands. Nobody feels how you feel. Uh, well, you may feel that, but can I tell you that Jesus knows what it feels like to be betrayed. The Bible says in all of our, uh, he's attempted as we were, yet without sin. It is a bitter betrayal. Is one thing for, you know, you know, when I first came into church, Marche, I, I, I thought everybody just got along with everybody and everybody loved everybody. But, but I, I, I stayed in church long enough to realize that, that we were just a bunch of broken people coming to a God to fix us and to save us and to deliver us. There are no perfect people in church. Amen. All of, us have, all of us have sandpaper on our elbows, and at some point or another, you are going to rub somebody the wrong way. Come on, somebody talk about it for just a moment. And I had to get past myself. I had to get past the place because I, I thought that when you came to church, everything was going to be lovely, and everybody was, was wonderful, and everybody loved Jesus, and everybody was always going to treat you right, and everybody was always going to uh, say hi, and how do you do, and smile at you. But I realized that, that sometimes the worst betrayals you can have are in places where you think that everybody, is, everybody loves you and everybody cares for you. Have you ever been to a place where you, you knew that, that, that the world was against you, and you had to be on guard against the attack? But you didn't know that the people that, that were supposed to have your back. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about betrayal. I'm, I'm talking about betrayal. I'm talking about betrayal. Uh, it, sometimes it happens even in the church. Amen, somebody. It's one thing to know that someone's an enemy. It's another to realize that that knife came from the back. I expected the world to attack me, but... Sometimes the attack comes right here inside the church. You see, these disciples are troubled because Jesus has said that one of them will betray him. This is probably a great question for you and I to ask one another. Is it me, Lord? As each one asks the question, Lord, is it me? You see, there were 12 disciples minus one who would betray, minus one who would deny. We had 10 now. 10 minus nine that would scatter, as the scriptures predicted, that they would strike the shepherd and the sheep would be scattered. 
Only John, the beloved disciple, would follow him to the cross and be there when Jesus would entrust his mother to him. You see, despite our grandiose ideas, each one of us will play our part. Each one of us will, will be left at some point holding the bag. Each one of us, despite our greatest efforts, will be found not having our own righteousness, but having to lean solely on the fact that he knows me. And after he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Imagine how troubled you would be at Jesus making this announcement that someone is going to betray him. And on top of this, Jesus tells them that he's only going to be with them for a little while longer and that they could not follow him. We talked about it last week. If Imagine Jesus is your BFF. And your BFF is all of a sudden saying that I am leaving and you can't follow me. Imagine the turmoil and the, that would cause in your heart. Jesus in chapter 13, I'm still in 13. Peter is actually the one that asked Jesus, Jesus, where are you going? And why can't I follow you? Peter would later proclaim his love and his devotion to Christ. And he says, even though everybody else deny you, I will not deny you. I'm going to follow you. Even if I have to die for you, I will die for you. And it's here that Jesus would make his great announcement concerning Peter. He says, Peter, before the crock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Don't you know God knows you? Despite all of our grandiose claims, despite all of our, all of our Christianity and all of our Christianese and all of the things that we say that to try to fool people, how many know God knows you? God knows you in your weakest moment. God knows what your, where your strengths lie. He knows where your weaknesses lie. He knows us, and the wonderful thing about it is he loves us, and he still knows us. How many people in your life would walk away from you if they really knew you? Mm. Selah. But I'm so thankful that even in this moment where Christ knows Peter and he knows that Peter is going to deny him, he knows that he's going to be betrayed, he also knows that Peter is going to return. And he says to Peter prophetically, after you return back to me, I want you to strengthen your brother. And how many of you know that God does not look for you to fail and to utterly fall, but God has a plan to restore you and to use you? Don't let the devil lie to you and say, just because you you failed in the moment that God has forgotten about you and God has given up on you. God has a plan for your life. He knows the way that I shall take and after he has tried me, I shall come forth as pure gold. Come on, give him praise right there. If you know you're believing, you're trusting in God that you're going to come forth after you've been through everything that you've got to go through. You see, when you don't know what to do and your heart is troubled, the temptation, listen to me now, the temptation is to give up. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been sorely, so sorely tried, so sorely tested, and, and even the temptation, you have almost given up? I love that song, Angie, that says, I almost gave up. 
You see, you, you really don't know how wonderful a Savior he is until you have reached that place where you almost gave up. Brothers and sisters, against this backdrop, Jesus gives them a three-part antidote for what to do when you don't know what to do, when you are being tempted to give up. Can I? Here it is, number, number one. He says in verse number one, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Number one, believe in God. Now, just a few moments ago, Teresa started encroaching upon my message. It's all right. I, I just laugh because I love how the Holy Spirit confirms what he wants to say to us. And, be, and, and I want you to miss the significance of this because this is very, very important. So just if you just took a mental trip on me, come on back for just a minute. Number one, if we are what to do when we don't know what to do, number one, believe in God. Before worship, before prayer, before reading his Bible, the Bible, believe in God. See, sometimes we go for form without substance. Sometimes we mail it in. Sometimes we go through the motions and we go for form without substance. Christians are famous for this. We go through the motions of what looks like faith without first doing the foundational things. The foundational thing is to trust in God. You see, I need someone today to reject the picture that sin has painted of the Father. You see, the creature, listen to me now, the creature doesn't define the creator. In other words, don't get your understanding of God from an earthly father. Whether your father was good or bad or present or absent, no, no father, no earthly father is perfect. And you don't get your view of the creator from a creation. Amen, somebody. If I want to understand what fatherhood is all about, I start with God. I don't start with my earthly father. And I don't compare my earthly father to God. I compare, I, I compare, I don't compare God to my earthly father. I compare my earthly father to the heavenly father. The creature doesn't start with the creator. You need to understand, someone needs to understand today that you have been living under a false concept of what the Father is all about. Your Heavenly Father is a perfect Father. He's not absent or passive. He won't just allow you to do anything. He cares about you too much. He's not overbearing. He's not a tyrant. He's not a control freak. He will allow you to be you. He knows who he created you to be, and he knows who you are, and he doesn't try to make you into someone else. Come on, give him praise right there. See, the problem is that many of us are living our lives, we're trying to live our lives as copycats. But only God really understands, only the Father really understands who he created you to be, and he wants you to be the best you that you can be because you're the only one that can be you. And that he wants to bring such security into your life that you become secure in who he created you to be, and you don't try to live as a copycat trying to be someone that you could never be, trying to be someone that you think, you think 
is all of that in a bag of chips. When God knows that none of us are all of that in a bag of chips. You see, the Father, he loves you. How many of you know that our Father, he's not a killjoy? He is full of joy. He is not sitting there, uh, sitting with a sullen face and, and a frown on his face looking at you. I love how you, how you picture that, that God serenades He says, my heart is to bless you and to keep you and to make my face shine upon you and give you peace to your children and to your children's children. That's the Father's heart today. Come on, do you understand that our Father is full of joy? The Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Where does it come from? It comes from God. God is full of joy. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not afraid. He's not frustrated. He is the perfect balance of love and discipline. He's a just God. The Father is holy, meaning he's completely unique and separate from his creation. And he's neither physically, nor does he want to be physically or emotionally absent from you. I love this about God because he's God all by himself and he doesn't need anything from anybody. Do you understand that when you don't need anything from anybody, you, are not apt, you will not manipulate them to get something that you need? God doesn't need your money. Come on, somebody. God doesn't need your praise. How I many know he's going to be God whether you praise him or not? But praise is really for you. It's for you and for me that, 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 that when we praise God, we begin to see the largeness of he, who he is. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. See, you can trust the Father today. So the first prescription for us is that we believe in God, that we get a proper view of who God the Father is. Amen, somebody. Yes. That we reject all notions and comparisons of God to earthly fathers because earthly fathers, though they may be good, they will always fail us. Right. I, I'm sorry, but I, have, I must announce as a father, I have failed as a father. But I'm so glad that our Heavenly Father loves us with a perfect love. I need to say this. I believe that the Holy Spirit is compelling me to say this. Your Father loves you. Quit running from your Father. We don't like to be around people we think are upset with us. We don't like to be around people we think are mad at us. We don't like to be around people we think are disappointed in us. So if we think that God is mad or frustrated or disappointed or angry at us, guess what you're going to do? You're going to run from God. But it's a lie. Your father loves you. So the antidote to knowing what to do when you don't know what to do, number one is to believe in the Father. Number two, very quickly, Jesus says it here in, in the same verse. He says, believe also in me. Would you look at the person beside you and say, Jesus said, believe also in me. The, 
See, this, this also is, it means in addition to. It's, it's, it's trusting in the goodness of the Father. But Jesus says, hey, listen, guys, I know that you're troubled. I know that I, I just delivered to you some bad news that, 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 that somebody, one of you is going to betray me and that I am leaving you and you can't follow me right now. I know that you're troubled because I've said all this to you. But I want you to believe in the Father, the Father's plan. But I also want you to believe in me. See, Jesus is saying this because he's, he's leaving and these disciples are troubled. Perhaps this is the great existential problem that troubles us more than anything else. Feeling like, listen to me now, feeling like we are alone. You can be in a crowded room and feel alone. You can be partying your guts out. But after the party is over, that familiar feeling of being alone comes back. You can be in a relationship today and you can feel the euphoria of a new relationship and still feel alone. You can be surrounded by people who you love, who love you and still feel alone. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It is perhaps one of the most nagging and persisting problems of being a human being. The feeling of being alone was God himself in Genesis said, it's not good for man or woman to be alone. I want to say very clearly to you, you were not created. Perhaps you are not an extrovert. Perhaps you are an introvert and you keep just a few friends around you. But, but God never intended for you to be alone. Some of you need to come back to church because God never intended for you to be alone. God always intended for us to be in community. Somebody say amen. amen. You see, you can lock a man or a woman up in a jail cell and they will go mad. The mind begins playing tricks on you when you are alone. When you are alone, there's no one to bounce thoughts off of, no one to check your particular pattern of thinking uh, because we all, time, we all can go dark at times. Amen, somebody. And if we are alone, there is no one to help us. And all we have is our own thoughts to validate how we are feeling or what our understanding is. We need to be around other people. We need to be in the house of God. We need to be around the people of God because it's not good for man to be alone. See, these disciples are feeling the fear of Jesus leaving them, and they're troubled about being alone. No wonder God, when he came into the world, it was announced that he would be called Emmanuel or God with us because we have a problem with being alone. I want you to understand that Jesus is not playing games with you. He didn't come to gain your trust and to leave you. Philip, in his fear of being alone, says, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. In other words, Philip is confused and Philip is disappointed along with the rest of the disciples. And he says, well, Jesus, if you just show us the Father, I, I know everything will be all right. If you just show us the Father, if you just, if you just show us the Father, I know that your plan is good and everything is going to work out. You know, we're just like that. When, when we're going through problems, when we're going through difficult things, we always want God to show us something. Mm. Somebody said, give me a sign. Yeah, yeah we do it. When there's, when there's a bump in the road, when there's something that threatens our faith, we, when things start going different than what we imagine, we want God to reveal himself. But Jesus' point is very clear here, that the Father 
has already, listen to this, write this down if if you're taking notes, the Father has already revealed himself. Here's the truth about God. God often does not show up. Have you found this to be true? Test this. God often does not show up in the moment that bad news comes. Oftentimes there's a period of time, whether brief or long, that you're going to simply have to trust him. You know, the scripture says that God is a very present help in the time of trouble. But it hasn't been your experience that when, when the trouble first comes, you look around and you're like, where's God? Come on now, can we be real up in here? The reason is, is because God has already revealed himself to you. And it is simply now time, whether it is short or long, is before he reveals himself, it's time simply to trust. Mm. That's worth the price of admission right there. Jesus gives us two different ways. Can I teach a little bit? Jesus gives us two different ways that we can believe also in me. In other words, two different ways that we can believe and trust him. The first one is called amazing faith. Somebody say amazing faith. This is where Jesus simply speaks and you believe what he says. You take him at his word and you simply trust what Jesus says to you. Can I give you an example of this? Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. It is the story of Jesus is in his ministry center in Capernaum, and a centurion, a Roman soldier who's in charge of 100 soldiers, comes to him, and he asks Jesus for help. He says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly, trouble. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve you to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. (laughs) But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority which have soldiers under me. And I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Jesus is amazed. Jesus is amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. This is amazing faith. This is the faith that amazes Jesus, that when you just take Jesus at his word. So, so see, there's, 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 there's one way right there to believe also in me, to trust Jesus, is simply to take him at his word. Amen, somebody. But I love this. The second way that Jesus gives us to trust him is evidentiary faith or faith through evidence. Evidentiary faith or faith through evidence. This is trusting Jesus because of what you have seen or witnessed. In other words, trusting Jesus for the work's sake. John 14, 11 He says, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the work themselves. You see, Jesus here is appealing to evidentiary faith 
and we can see this over and over again in Scripture. What did he say to John the Baptist when John the Baptist had came preaching? And, and we've been talking about this, and John came preaching, and one day Jesus shows up on the shore of the Jordan, and John begins, uh, John's anointed, and, and how many of you know that preachers are real good when we're anointed? And he's anointed, and he just yells out, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He says, I have not known who he was unless, but the one who sent me, the Father, it, it, the, told me that the one that the Spirit landed upon and remains, he is the one that baptizes with the Holy Ghost. Now John is in Herod's prison, and he's getting ready in a few days to be beheaded, and he's depressed, and he's confused, and he doesn't know what to do. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one, or should we look for another? What was Jesus' response? Jesus' response was to appeal to the evidence. <laughs> he says the, the lame are healed. The leper is being cleansed. The blind is seen. In other words, he says, John, I, I, I need you. If you can't just rely on what the Father told you, if you are in a place right now that is so dark and so disgusting and, and you are depressed and you don't know what to do and you can't hold on to the word that God gave you, I want you simply to look at the evidence. Evidentiary faith. See, sometimes, sometimes God speaks to us and he tells us what he's going to do in our life and how he's going to turn things around. But sometimes we get in a place that's so tough and so tight that we sometimes forget what God has told us. See, sometimes God doesn't show up in the middle of the trouble because he says, I just need you to look at the evidence. I've already spoke to you. I've already... You see, when trouble comes, you and I have to become historical. We have to become history majors. God expects you and I to rely on history. Anybody in this room or listening online, are you been, have God saved you despite all the odds that were stacked against you? The devil had you tied up and tangled up in sin, and God saved you. Evidence. Is there anybody in the room that God preserved and kept your life, and right now, by all accounts, you should be dead? Evidence. You say, you already have enough to trust God. Has he ever healed anybody? You have enough evidence to trust God. If he's ever given you a financial breakthrough, if, if you ever had a, him make a way when there was no way, there was no, there was no logical explanation for, for you getting the opportunity and the doors being opened for your life, being transformed and changed the way it has, you have enough evidence already to trust God. If you've ever seen God move in your life or someone you know, you have all the information you need to trust God. you've ever done anything for you, you need to praise him right now. Yeah. 
finally you can be not troubled because you believe in the Father. Believe also in me. You believe in the Son. But number three, believe that God is with you through the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you a few questions here. How would you be different right now if Jesus was physically with you? Would you be more confident? Would you complain about being alone? How different would you look at the difficulties that you're facing in your life right now if Jesus was physically with you? You see, a lot of Christians live as though they do not have the Holy Spirit living inside them. See, Jesus' words here are instructive for us. What does he say? He says to Philip, Philip, if you can't take me at my word, look at my evidence. Look at the works that I'm doing. Then Jesus says something amazing. He says, Philip, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. Hmm. See, Jesus is pointing to the reality that the Holy Spirit, that he is leaving, but the Holy Spirit is coming. You see, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says here, that the Holy Spirit is going to allow the church to do greater works than he himself. Now, before you get that twisted, the word greater here in the Greek is the word megas, from which we get the word mega. It, it speaks to being large in amount or size. Not greater in quality, but greater in quantity. You see, Jesus and the Father are mega. I love that term because mega denotes a factor of one million. It's, it's ten to the sixth power, ten with, with six zeros behind it. You see, God has trillions and trillions of megawatts of power. He is the mega jackpot. <laughs> he is the mega star of the church, the Holy Spirit is. He is the megaphone for the gospel. See, it is Jesus' plan. Listen to this. It is Jesus' plan and the Father's plan for the works of Jesus to be increased exponentially in the earth by the Holy Spirit. But for, in order for this to happen, we have to realize that God is with us. We are not alone, and we must live as though the Holy Spirit, Jesus is with us. We must live as though the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he that is in you. I wish, I wish we would get to the point, Pastor, where we believe that. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Did you know that, that when you receive the Spirit of God, when God comes into your life, that you are a new creature? That you're not the old person that you used to be? That you are absolutely this, a new creature in God, a new creation in God? And we are not to live as though we are an old creature, our old creation. That we are a new man, a new woman in God. We are not to live as mere men. 
following the dictates of this world and the dictates of what they say is important and what is a priority, that we are to live a different world way. Let me, let me give it to you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I'm, I'm coming to a close. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 3 through 4. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's writing because Chloe has, people from Chloe's house has written him and says, this church is all jacked up and it's all messed up. And Paul writes to them. He writes to them to clear up some things. And he, he says, you guys are carnal. You're being worldly. You're fussing about this and fighting about that. And some of you are saying you're following this guy and you're following that guy. In other words, you're being copycats. And he says, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Paul is saying, you, you're, you're acting like you're not, you haven't been regenerated. You're acting like the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you. You're not to worry like other people worry. You're not to run after the things of the world like everybody else is. You're not to compare yourself like everybody else compares themselves. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Why are you acting like you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? You're not alone. And if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells inside of you, he will quicken you as well. He will be everything that you need. So what do we do when we don't know what to do? We simply trust. We believe in the Father. We, we believe in Jesus, His Son, the Savior, our Savior. We believe in the blessed Holy Spirit who lives and breathes inside of us. Would you stand with me? Father, I thank you for your word today. I thank you that, Lord, you are covering us. You're in us and around us and through us. Lord, I thank you that you transcend every boundary. And Lord, I pray that you would touch our minds and our hearts to understand the, the greatness of what you have done. That we are not to compare ourselves. We're not to worry as people and grieve as people who have no hope that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and that this power is not of us, but it's of you. And that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the ecstasy and the glory might be of you. Lord, I pray for that one that has not received you today, that, Lord, even as the word was going forth, that they would understand, Father, how you love them. And how you died for them, Jesus. How you and the Father have jointly sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. That we would never, we would never be alone again. Lord, I pray for the believer who has been living beneath their privilege. And they've been living as without the knowledge of your Spirit moving in their life. I pray whatever the struggle, whatever the storm, God, that they're going through, I pray, Lord, that, Father, they would realize that you are with them right in the midst, and you've already given them enough to trust you. 
And Lord, we thank you. Forgive us, Lord, for the times we've doubted and the times we've worried when we have your Holy Spirit living inside of us. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being in God's house today.